Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod where we dissect the weekend's football from the EFL. George Ellick on the line with me, Ali Maxwell. Hello, George. How are you on this Monday morning? Hello, Ali. Uh, you're a bit of a throwback to be recording over Skype, isn't it? Because mm. we've done our most recent collection of podcasts two metres apart, um, always. But this time we are back looking at each other on a screen. Some miles your, apart, in fact. Your hair is fantastic. Anyone, I mean, nobody else can see it, but it's quite long. It's very fluffy. You've obviously washed it. And you look a little bit like Adam Armstrong did during lockdown, I would say. I... Okay, on Sky on Friday night, we've got a few funny things to mention about this. Um, first of all, how well the players that we're talking about on a Friday night keep doing. Yes. We picked up Adam Armstrong and his move uh, to play through the middle for Blackburn, and he followed that up by scoring a hat-trick the day later. We talked about Tyrese Dolan and Michael Olise this week, and they both had a good game, which we will discuss on this pod. But also, what happens is when you're talking and when there's clips being shown there's a screen sort of five metres away in the studio that you can look at so that you can watch the clips that you guys are seeing at home and you can kind of talk over them. You know the, the timings. Uh, and then it cuts back to the studio. And if you're still looking at the screen, you see yourself. And it can be a little off-putting. But I caught myself at the end of our segment on Friday night. And genuinely, while I was talking, I thought to myself, Jesus, mate, you need a haircut. That is a really, <laughs> really bad lid you've got right now. So... This morning, wash the hair in anticipation of a haircut after we finish recording. And that is a very mundane way to start the podcast. Uh, there was also, you were, you were really giggling at me on, on Friday night as well. Yeah, it was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> you turned up to Sky wearing a nice kind of fluffy, fleecy quarter zip job mm-hmm. um, over your shirt. Because it was very cold very on Friday. Cold. And um, you... <laughs> You turned up and you wore it throughout the game and you tried on your jacket and pouted in front of me, wondering if you could pull off a suit with the jumper on top look. You decided it didn't look very good. You then pulled off your jumper and you were just covered in blue. Your white shirt was covered in blue fur. Like, like lint, it like made, fluff. Yeah. It made it look as if you had you were going to like a fancy dress party and had decided to stick loads of blue hairy chest hair <laughs> on yourself. And therefore, it was too you had late. to then... You had to then go on in the wearing the look that your child about four minutes before and decided looked terrible. Um, and, you know, one of the only tweets we got, but I think we quite like to get more tweets from people when they're watching us on Sky because it's always a bit less than we, we anticipate maybe. But one of the only ones we got was someone saying, Ali, are you not a bit hot <laughs> in what you're wearing? I was. Which I really enjoyed. I was hot. Those studio lights are, are, are very, very warm, it's fair to say. Yeah, but another wardrobe shocker for me. It only seems to happen to me. I don't know whether you've made like a deal with the devil or something, but you always seem to come across fairly well, and I just can't get it right. And, and I must say, the, the one thing I do find a bit weird is how interested people are about other people's clothes. Like, maybe because I'm not that interested, clearly, uh, in fashion. Not very, up, fashionista, to, not very up to date with fashion. I don't really go looking for trendy clothes or anything. I tend to just wear my Hummel tracksuit bottoms and, a, and, a, and some sort of sports jumper or shirt or whatever. I would, I would say that is incorrect when, you, when we're talking about um, golf fashion. I would say you take your golf fashion quite seriously. <laughs> yeah, I do take that seriously. But regardless, the one thing I find quite odd is 
the the percentage of tweets that I get after doing something on TV that are about my clothes. I just find that very strange. I very rarely even think about what clothes someone else is wearing. But uh, it's, you know, better to be talked about than not talked about, as they say. Um, uh, we're going to get into the weekend's games now. A, a quick note. There's been a lot of chat about the state of the EFL, the future, the immediate future and very existence of teams, especially in League One and League Two. We did a long chat with Matt Slater on last week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. If you'd like to go back to listen to that chat, we both thought it, because of Matt and the way that he talks about this, that it ended up being quite an important discussion and we think a really important listen for EFL fans. Because A, he he highlighted the issues very well, but B, I think there was a bit of positivity. Like we got some quite good information uh, out of him that wasn't just the sort of top line scaremongering stuff. So go back and listen to that. There's also a really good eight-minute chat on the Quest Highlight Show on Saturday night with Colin Murray, Simon Grayson, Sam Parkin. I shared that on our Twitter account, at NTT20pod. It's really worth watching these things and listening to these things. It's worth continuing to make noise about the fact that, that these clubs really do need uh, a bailout, essentially. It's a really tricky situation. Uh, in a few months' time, if there's no change, if there's no bailout, if you will, we might have leagues without the full complement of teams and, and that will be just such a such a, such a a horrendous situation for, for every football fan to be in. Um, but for this pod, we're going to focus on the football. We're going to focus on what happened on the weekend and that's why we will start at the top of the championship with two sides on nine points, from their three games, Reading Football Club leading us off. They beat Cardiff 2-1 on the weekend. George Paulno is having the time of his life. He found MLS pretty tricky with Chicago Fire. I don't think there were too many big smiles. I don't think there were too many happy interviews. And he was dishing out some great hugs at full time as well. He's absolutely loving life in the championship <laughs> and, in, uh, and, in, and in Berkshire. Yeah, and, and rightly so, because you'd often look at teams in this situation and there are a couple others around the leagues where you see where they're coming, you see the fixtures that they've had and you're like, yeah, I kind of, that makes sense, I guess. But in actual fact, they've gone away to two clubs, one of which in Cardiff, who contested in the playoffs last season, and one of which in Derby. And I know that Derby aren't having um, a, a very good start to the season, but that was still the first game of the season. So before it had all kind of fallen apart. And I guess you can lay some of the blame to that at that abject first performance. So so that there's no possibility for me to try and pour water on what's been a brilliant start for any, Paunovic. Any, a brilliant water start or, for, any water or just cold water specifically? Any, any water whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not going to pour hot water on it because that would mean really building them up. And I, I don't feel like we're in a position to do that. The, the one thing I would maybe say with Paunovic is that it doesn't necessarily feel... And this isn't to take anything away from him, but it doesn't feel like this is a manager who's suddenly come into a club and, and revolutionised everything. I, I think it feels to me more down to individual personnel. Lucas Zhao has started the season as probably the inform player in the whole division, arguably, not only with his goals, but also what he does outside the box as well. He's just incredibly talented. And I, you know, whenever I talk about Zhao and his performances, I always do have to caveat it by, by, by saying he's 27 years old. He's done this before. This isn't going to last all season, but but for the time being, it certainly is impressive. And I'm just falling a little bit in love with Michael Elise with every um, time I see him do anything. Even the assist for Michael Morrison's header for the first goal on Saturday. Uh, just the way he hits the free kick is just such like a, it's just so full of confidence. It's a, it's a committed whipping ball that is, is pretty hard to teach. And that's the second assist he's got this season, both of which from set pieces, one from a corner. 
the corner in, on the first game of the season against Derby was a, a very similar whip. Um, he's just a class player that yeah. I am excited about at the age of 18. And, and then a shout out as well for Omar Richards, who maybe isn't getting the plaudits that we would necessarily see him get because of what Elise is doing. But, you know, playing at left back, he's he's performing really, really well. And another kind of youth team graduate alongside Rinomota. So for all this talk about new players, you know, we're, we're hearing about Raquel May coming over from Atletico Madrid and things. Why bother? Just, you know, you've got this this crop of youngsters that you've created you've, that are homegrown. Just maybe stick with what you've got and try and keep the, the good times going. But it's the stage of the season where I feel like you and I, it's getting to that stage where you and I could do a whole podcast on which managers are most at risk of being victims of their own early success. And at the moment, that list would probably be be topped by Vyko Paunovic, where expectations are massively now inflated. And if after 10 or 15 games, Reading are doing admirably well in kind of mid-table, just below, um, yeah, it's probably going to be, people are going to be remembering this early good start and, and saying, why are we down here? Got a big game against uh, Watford next up in the league. I just like how, how good their set pieces have been. It's It's been a real difference maker for them. And it, it's kind of funny that probably you have the collection of silkiest dribblers in the league in this side with Ajaria, of course, and Elise and Joao as well, who as strikers go is, is probably the, the silkiest in terms of what he can do on the ball and the, 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 the tricks and flicks, uh, which help create the space for his goal, of course, in this. Um, but set pieces have kind of been the thing that has has given them the edge. Uh, and, you know, I love set pieces. You know, I place very uh, a lot of value in them. Uh, and in a league where there's often not a lot between sides there and when matches are, are fairly even and it often comes down to who can take their chances, who can find an edge, set pieces are, are a, a big part of that. So we'll see how they go. I, I'm afraid when Cardiff are not at it, they really are truly quite grim. Um, and that was the case for, for big parts of, uh, of this game. I couldn't believe watching... Reading's second goal, there were three midfield players who just be- were just jogging back, trotting back to help their defence that was really up against it. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, that there are sides who who pride themselves on their defensive structure and on, you know, and whose edge is often said to be working hard as a unit, working hard for each other, being players who just work hard for every single second ball, for everything. Uh, and that's, you know, Cardiff fit that bill generally when they're doing well. And that certainly didn't tally with what I saw on, on the weekend. So, um, you know, we, we kind of disparaged their first game of the season against Sheffield Wednesday and then they followed it up with a really good win. We're doing the same again after a poor performance against Reading. See how they go next up. Bristol City, George, won 2-0 against Sheffield Wednesday on Sunday. They also have the maximum points, nine from a possible nine. And yeah, you messaged me at half time saying, Ugh, not a big fan of this first half performance from Bristol City. And I think that was very fair. I think their fans agreed. So it's one of those where the fact they came charging out the blocks in the second half and put it right and ended up, you know, worthy winners based on their second half display. Uh, more encouraging signs for them. And, and Dean Holden, who spent Saturday in the pub with Bristol City fans, just <laughs> really giving himself a very, very good rep amongst the fan base. It's, it's very happy days in Bristol. Uh, well, certainly on the City side at the moment. Yeah, not so much Rovers, not so much for the gas heads. But um, yeah, in the same way that with Paunovic, you're struggling to at the moment necessarily see his um, footprint on the sides, despite you know the obvious um, wins that have come. Uh, with Bristol City, it's the opposite. And, and I like, again, after a really poor first half performance where Sheffield Wednesday were the mo- most likely team to score, 
Bristol City mustered just four shots, um, all of which were outside the box in the first half. The second half performance was so much better and it wasn't even personnel. There was no substitutions made until the 80th minute. Holden basically just made some tweaks here and there, which enabled them to be much more effective. Um, I was, yeah, I sent you that text. I think I said yuck was my um, mm. was the word I used. Mm. Um, and it just felt like maybe we'd gone a little bit too early on on the praise, which is easy to do at this stage. But you know, Sheffield Wednesday are a side who I still maintain are, at worst, a mid-table team. Um, and Bristol City totally wiped the floor with them second half as well. And again, it ended up being a very strong defensive performance, despite playing the midfield three of Vyman, Backinson and Patterson ahead of the three of Moore, Morton and Viner with two fullbacks in Rowan Hunt. It, it, it is such an attacking one to 11 with two up front as well, that if they can maintain this ability to keep teams away from their own goal, whilst having so many ball players on the pitch, it's going to be a really, really potent combination. So um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm just kind of relieved, I guess, after we, we, we went quite big on, Dino after two games that it wasn't suddenly like ah right maybe it was just a bit of a flash in the pan because the second half performance was definitely very impressive and and more good work from your Kevin de Kevin de Patterson KDP uh, yeah absolutely he's uh, he's enjoying his football at the moment isn't it and it's nice to see because he is a, a wonderful player when he's on it he's so both footed can be very dynamic he he finishes well and yeah I'm I'm excited to see his form continue it's been brilliant since since lockdown basically and um what else is there to say yeah I guess with Reading and Bristol City uh there will be a change in mindset from their opposition if these performances continue if the victories continue uh, and that will be a, a challenge for them going forward if they continue to to win games um Bristol City you know they are they are proving excellent when working the ball out wide, when committing a lot of bodies into the box as they did for the first goal. Uh, those those guys breaking from midfield that you've mentioned there. Um, I dare say there might be moments where they get caught out a little in transition if they are committing those bodies forward and it's kind of just Backinson, you know, just trying to stem the tide uh, of, of opposition players. But, you know, there, there might be a point where both of these sides come up against teams who sit a little deeper and who react to them and, and try and make it more difficult for them and, that that's going to be a challenge for them. But at the moment, it's happy days as it is in Blackburn because this side have scored 11 goals in their first three league games, uh, even scoring two on opening day in defeat against Bournemouth. This 4-0 win against Derby, it feels like quite a loud one on both sides, George, both the, 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 the dismay amongst the Derby fan base after this, the excitement amongst Rovers fans, which you can understand. I mean, it was a crazy few minutes, wasn't it? From 0-0 to 3-0, um, in the space of five minutes, basically here, two of them from Bradley Johnson from range. One of them, our, our new friend Tyrese Dolan. Uh, it, you know, it's just going almost too well for Rovers in in the last two weeks. But it's hard not to get quite excited about what we're seeing, especially going forward. Yeah, they look absolutely electric, and and Dolan again. I mean, his goal was a tap-in, so we can't give him too much credit for that beyond being in the right place at the right time. I'm pretty sure he was convinced he was offside as well. <laughs> um, but his performance in the game was brilliant again, and he gave Buchanan a really, really tough time. Um, again, we saw one piece of footwork where his just his ability to kind of at pace shift the ball or sometimes more effectively not shift the ball and then take a pass to player is, is something we don't see very often. Our friend Jay um, uh, Sosick Blades Analytic mentioned, and this is so early, but I, I didn't hate it, the championship Sancho, he said it could be. And that piece wow. of skill that, that you said, Blackburn mm. Rovers have done an amazing tweet uh, this morning showing it. Um, 
it's kind of like the road runner cartoon you know when he's running so fast that the legs are just <laughs> one blur just constant motion uh, i thought it was amazing we also said that last week that teams would target derby's left side whether it was forsyth or buchanan playing left back uh, and that was very much the case here as well uh, and armstrong through the middle still poaching goals um you know you called lucas Rao the most informed player in the league i think adam armstrong would be would be waving at you um uh, about that i'd wave back and yeah i mean Oh, we have to mention uh, Lewis Holtby as well with his Luka Modric hairstyle. He's turning yeah. more in, more and more into Luka as the days go on, dropping deeper and, and uh, impacting games from a deeper role than we saw earlier in his career. Uh, obviously, the only thing differing him and Luka right now is that he's very left-footed compared to Modric's right foot. I mean, looking back... Is that, the, is, is that the only thing? That's the only thing, yeah. That's the only thing. Are we Spurs legends. Are we surprised? Are we surprised that a player that has three caps for Germany... He's played 200 Bundesliga games, is really good at playing football in the championship? Cause Probably not, no. I don't remember us going big enough on him joining the league. I remember being excited about it, and obviously he'd had a tough few seasons at Hamburg, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's very nice to see him flourishing, I think it's fair to say. I just want to talk about the one phrase that I don't like, but you're going to say something first. Okay. Well, I just wanted to talk about Derby for a second. Yes, please were do. You, were you, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's there's no denying that zero points from three games... Is very poor, and, and one player's performance especially really concerned me, and that was Rune. Wayne Rooney's. Rooney, um, giving the ball away really cheaply for the first goal, giving the ball away really cheaply for I think the fourth goal, um, both just one a really wayward header back towards his own goal for the fourth one, and the first just a really wayward pass. Also, just taking some really bad shots um, from weird locations. It's, I'm sure. He hasn't turned into a bad player over the course of one summer. I hope that his fight um, to be at a Derby side who need to now get themselves out of a bit of a hole is is there. Um, everything we know about him would suggest that it will be. Uh, we still probably anticipate that Derby's, if Derby are to dispense a Philip Koku any time in the next couple of months, it's likely to be Rooney who steps in. So I hope for their sake that he is up for this. Um, but with Derby, I, I think you have to exercise some caution about this result. Um, Max Bird missed a really good chance very, very early on in the first couple of minutes to make, put them one net up. They were then hit by a sucker punch of three goals within 15 minutes, one of which um, was, well, two of which were, were long shots. One was a deflected long shot. So the rub of the green went against them. They had 15 shots in the game and um, Kaminsky put in a really good performance in goal for, for Blackburn. So even though Blackburn, certainly the deserved winners and, and can take a lot out of this, um, I, I don't think the 4-0 scoreline necessarily reflects what Derby did, especially because of their talismanic greatest England player of all time, centre midfielder, giving the ball away a couple of times cheaply. So, But the issue for Derby is now, I mean, they've played Luton away, they've played Reading at home, they've played Blackburn at home. They probably looked at that start when they got it as being like, brilliant, that should be six points minimum. They've got zero and they now face um, Norwich and Watford in the next two games. I'm sure Koku will be given time. I think he's still seen as being a bit of a coup for the club and he's shown last season what he can do. Um, but he's going to have a pretty tough time, you think, turning this around in the short term. Quick rant about a phrase that I don't like. Uh, every now and again, one crops up and I just like to uh, use this platform to rail against it. Uh, and it's kind of an emotional phrase. So I understand why it gets used, but I just think it's a bit stupid. And that is when people go, you know what? It could have been six or seven. It could have been six or seven nil that, and uh, you know they wouldn't have been able to complain. I just think it's really, I just think it's, it's just stupid. It's kind of just a, 
it's a narrative driven phrase that just doesn't really mean much. I mean, as you said, it's it's it can be annoying just to quote shot figures here. But that's what people are doing when they say it could have been six or seven nil. Like, oh, and guess what? Blackburn had a few more chances that if they'd finished, you know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been surprised. But like, where do you draw the line if you're being honest about this? Derby had five shots on target. Blackburn had ten. I mean, it could have been ten five, George, if all those shots had gone in. You could go further with it. <laughs> twenty three shots. Blackburn had fifteen for Derby. If all of those had gone in, could have been twenty three fifteen. This game. Do you know so, what? It also could have been nil nil. I reckon. Yeah. I agree. So um, there you go. That's just me being a bit grumpy. Watford played Luton. Hot take debate. Watford <laughs> played Luton in one of the, what ended up being one of the least spicy derbies of all time after uh, after kind of a big build up. And, and I dare say that the current situation, right, the, the current situation um, without, you know, playing behind closed doors, obviously played a massive part in that. And, you know, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that, but Nathan Jones's interview was pretty funny. And, you know, There'd be people that said, why, why, are you, you know, why are you talking about the opposition uh, dugout, asking for yellow cards and stuff? I dare say Jones is fairly, fo- fairly vocal, uh, as most managers are on the touchline. But he probably did have a point, and it, it wasn't a smashing game. And there's not a ton of analysis, I don't think, to do, because Watford kept Luton at bay for the most part, like they have done with all their opposition so far this season. They haven't conceded a goal yet, um, and there was just one big moment where James Collins hit the bar from four yards. And Watford scored just a, a minute or so later, maybe less than, um, with Sema doing quite well to dig out a cross and João Pedro, his finish, getting a nice deflection into the net. And then Watford sort of closed it out. I don't think Luton had a ton of chances. So we're still seeing that this Watford side are working hard for Ivic. Uh, they haven't conceded, as I mentioned. They're, there's probably still plenty to sort out. We're still led to believe that there'll be lots of movement in the transfer market in the next two weeks. And Interesting to see Ismail Assar starting. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see Sar starting. You know, we're kind of still waiting, it feels, based on what people are saying, for the dust to settle. And yet Watford are, are kind of motoring. Not not motoring, that's the wrong word. They're, they're, they're building from the back. They've got a solid platform. They're, they're chugging along. Yeah, it's a, it's a good early signs. And I think starting with a solid base and building on that is, is a very, very good idea, if you can do that. I seem to remember a Newcastle side a few years ago that... Never felt particularly exciting going forward, to be honest, but still accumulated points very easily because they always kept a clean sheet or if they didn't, they conceded one. Um, if that's how Watford are going to start the season and then potentially be able to develop some some better combination plays some better attacking uh, processes and, and whatnot, then yeah, I'm, I'm pretty encouraged. And, and yeah, boring for Luton fans to hear, but three games they've only had 16 shots in total it's the fewest in the division um only 11 inside the box as well so you know uh, as we saw you can't you can't always rely on James Collins to finish the the one or two chances he gets per game you probably need a few other players to start chipping in as well yeah yeah, I think that's exactly right um I, I still think they will create good chances rather than plenty of chances because of Collins's movement and I'm sure he's likely to score a fair few goals, but that reliance on him to put the ball away, they had one good chance on Saturday. He fluffed his lines for once. Normally he'd put that away. I mean, that's one of the things I don't like when people say he has to score, but you have to agree that James Collins is expected to put that chance away yeah. and they lose the game off the back of it. Um, I was excited by Garner's performance. I thought he, in his first start, his first league start for the club, looked very, very short in possession um, and looks like he could be a player who could make Watford, you know, rather than being solid in the middle of the park with Chalaber and Cleverly, he could provide a little bit of uh, you know, excitement mm. with his passing. Everyone and very, interesting everyone to see very Didi. Exci- oh, go on. 
Dini off the bench as well, which, yeah. which suggests he could be here for the season, which would be a boost, I would say. Nice of him to grace us with his presence. Uh, João Pedro, we're very excited about. No surprise there. Sa- same as all his performances so far, I think. Plenty of nice moments, nice nice touches, nice flicks, nice passes. Uh, also some moments where, you know, you look like he's still got a, got a bit of sharpening up to do, but uh, really exciting. And yeah, the both wingbacks I'm excited about as well. And Gakia got into really good positions. Ken Semmer as well, who I didn't know much about before this season, but I'm really enjoying watching. So uh, lots of positives there and lots of positives for Bournemouth as well, George, uh, who beat Norwich on Sunday. Uh, there's a lot of dismay amongst the Norwich fan base about how this game went, but you have to say for Bournemouth, uh, it's it's been a, a pretty good start. It's been a pretty good start. And we're going to have to talk about Dan Juma again. Because, I mean, without wanting to like belittle second-tier football, which is my favourite league in the whole world, his goal on opening day, you had to say, it was the sort of quality that you don't see that often at this level. Because it wasn't just the, the mere fact of, you know, finding the top corner it was the it was the power in his shot it was the way that he had controlled the ball brought it forward dipped inside a man and then finished and then this weekend he gets a ball fizzed into him with his back to goal center back behind him with his first touch is incredible onto his left foot to, to create the space for the shot and then a low drive so we've seen two different types of goal from him uh, which is getting me pretty excited, and I just hope that it's <laughs> I just hope that it's not too good to catch the eye for someone who might you know poach him away before uh, before the window closes. But yeah, I mean, it, it felt it, it seemed like Bournemouth really deserved this one. I guess the good, the thing about Dan Juma for for Bournemouth fans is that he cost them fourteen million quid last August. To, you know, under two years ago, he was he scored for the Netherlands against Belgium in an international game. Like if if anyone's going to want him on the back of what he's done over the past year or so, they're going to have to pay a fair amount because he was not, you know, he, he he was not a good signing last season. So you'd think that, you know, on the back of a couple of, of, of good performances in the championship, people are still going to have to pay a fair whack. So I, I have a feeling he'll probably stick around, but it's exciting to have someone of his qualities there. For, for Norwich, I mean, Begovic had to make a fair few saves to keep them in it. Hugo looked pretty lively when he came on um, late on. It's I just think it's important not to panic, really. Um I think any concerns we had over their form coming into the season were justified, really. Um, I still find it a little bit bizarre how Daniel Farker was kind of exempt from criticism for last season. and Suddenly now there seems to be some angst around him. Um, I I don't really see why that's the case. Mm. Um, It's a pretty poor start, but they've got four points from three games. It's way too early to make any judgments on whether this is going to be a side who uh, are going to be fighting for the title again. It's important for Norwich fans to remember that after 10 or so games in, the, in a season where they did win the league, they were miles off it yeah. to start with. Um, it's a, it's still a pretty bloated squad. It doesn't help that there are key players that Farker would want available who still aren't. There was talk that Buendia would be involved, but that didn't prove to be the case. Interesting to see that Aaron started at right back despite the continued rumours that he'll be moving somewhere in Europe, um, with Barcelona being the original, but other clubs being being touted now. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a difficult game. Away at a side who've come down with you, it was pretty tight and Bournemouth got the three points on the day. It could have gone either way, to be honest, and just a bit of quality won it. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, you finished that answer so quickly. I wasn't ready. Um, Thank yeah, you. Not a huge amount of love amongst the Norwich fan base for the midfield three and the lack of creativity that they showed. Um, Skip, McLean and, and Rupp as a trio, not getting a lot of love, it's fair to say. And, and as you say, no Campwell or Buendia 
Farker with some quite pointed comments afterwards about, you know, playing those who, who look up for it and who want to be a part of it and who perform well in training. And, you know, that it's, it's, it's all well and good and you want your manager to be strong like that, but then you do have to start getting the results as well at some point. Uh, and Wickham lost 2-0 to Swansea, George. Swans have had a really good start to the season and I've got some shot stat porn for you. Uh, 31, nice. 31 shots Swansea have taken in their three games and only four outside the box as the... Mm. As a shot locations expert, that can only be good news. Um, and eight inside the six-yard box, which is, as you wow. can imagine, the most in the league by a distance. And we saw that in full force uh, this weekend. It, it all looked very nice, didn't it? And the first half display just blew Wickham away. It was a fairly comfortable win in the end. Lots of nice combinations between the wing-backs, Bidwell and Roberts, who are getting forward, combining with the wide central midfield players, Gibbs-White everywhere. Um, Wickham just didn't really know how to track him because he was just he was just popping up in in all areas. Uh, and Jamal Lowe and Ayu, despite a lot of chat about how Swansea and Steve Cooper are desperate for a, a true goal scorer, a true nine, you know their mobility and and their link play seems to be improving as well. So it was all very nice. And to add to that, a, th- a third clean sheet in a row with those young defenders. Uh, what are they? Sixty-two, the combined age, I think, of Cabango, Rodon, and Guehi. Uh, they might not be on maximum points, but it seems a lot of positivity around the place at Swans at the moment. Yeah, and, and rightly so. I think I was going to say it's important not to upgrade teams too much on the back of beating Wickham, but then I remembered that Blackburn followed up a 5-0 win against Wickham with a 4-0 win at Pride Park, so maybe we can. Um, it's, it's disappointing for Gareth Ainsworth's side, who was so good at Adams Park last season, to have already lost that kind of sense of, not invincibility, but sense that, a team is going to have to do a lot to beat them there because we saw Rotherham not do very much to beat them there with a late goal. And then we've seen Swansea just kind of totally outclass them um, in a game, taking the lead early, then just coasting to victory, really. And it was, they were lucky that it ended up only being um, only being one. Obviously, no, Joe Jacobson seems to massively impact Wickham's um, ability from set pieces. Uh, he's He was so important to their promotion last season um having that that left foot um you know they scored such a a huge proportion of their goals from set pieces it feels like they're no longer such a threat from them um they created very very little on saturday but but for swansea they're a side who we were sweet on before the season started they didn't really see much reason why they would tail off on the back end of last season steve cooper in his second full season as manager is proving himself to be one who can get teams to play the style of football where they are creating good chances and that is important. And you mentioned, I mean, are you, if, if they are going to be creating chances in the six-yard box and around it, um, they're not a team who play necessarily a style that's going to need height. And are you seems to me like a pretty good option to have on the end of those. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very sweet on the Swans um, still. And, and you spoke about how, you know, it could have been seven, how you don't like it. But this is a 2-0 that was as dominant a 2-0 really as you're going to see. You can be sweet on swans, but just don't get too close to one. Okay? Like, yes. They can break a man's arm. Are they all like? Are they all owned by the queen? Yes, correct. Um, wow. Yeah. Good for the queen. Apparently, she's she's keeping a very close eye on Morgan Gibbs White, who she thinks could be a serious prospect. Um, Must be a nightmare having so many pets. Yeah, I know. I wonder how they get on with the dogs. Uh, anyway, Huddersfield beat Nottingham Forest one 0 on Friday night. Um, you said on on BBC Five Live on Saturday. Always good to hear you on that, talking to, mm. talking EFL to Mark Chapman. Uh, you said that you were quite surprised that you were sitting chatting about 
Sabri Lamucci still being a Nottingham Forest manager. That reflects just how poor their performance was. But let's start with with Huddersfield, George. It was uh, it was really good to see to see them on a, on a televised game after a start to the season that had certainly been tough and the results had been quite poor. Just starting to see some really nice signs, though. Um, in the first two games, it was notable, and they're tough fixtures as well, don't get me wrong, against Norwich and Brentford. Certainly in that Norwich game, which I watched, they were really struggling to click in the final third. And look, there were so many teams on opening weekend that were the same, so maybe it was harsh to disparage them too much off the back of that. Uh, in this game, they looked like they've... You know, worked very hard on, the, on their on their play in the final third, and it and it paid off. Uh, the goal was was wonderful. Obviously, a, an eye catching finish from Fraser Campbell, but also just really nice work down the left side and just across the park. They were they were good performers. Pritchard had a really good game, which feels kind of significant. If they are going to be a good team, if they can find a place for him to thrive, then that's going to be you know he's clearly going to be a key performer for them, given what he can do on the ball. Caroma uh, was decent. And Benza was decent, which is a, a very pleasant surprise. And yeah, it, it's you know it was Critchlow at the back as well, who we really we were very surprised to see in the starting lineup, and then pleasantly surprised by how he performed. And even Hamer made a big save or two. Um, so very positive signs for for Corberan and uh, the Terriers. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I was really impressed by Huddersfield. I think for any Forest fans listening, they'll want us to mention that Jonathan Hogg should have been sent off after a minute, and that is definitely the case. I would also say that. Sam Basau should have been sent off um, late into the first half as well because he committed a couple of booking bookable offences when he was already on a yellow. So it kind of evens itself out, although I can understand the frustration from Forrest because that tackle from Hogg was an absolute shocker. But to see you know a midfield trio of, of Hogg, Pritchard and Bakuna basically win the midfield battle against Arta, Kolbach and Sau is, is, is really impressive. Um, I know Sau and Hogg both came off kind of midway through the second half. First, but first half is, for Hoggy. I was going to mention. Sorry, our, I was going to mention yeah. our new friend Carol Lighting, but uh, mm. yeah, you, you just continue late, for the moment. In the first half, yeah, but I, I just thought it was really impressive. I mean, some of the narrative around the game seemed to be that Hamer had to be at his best to keep Forrest out, and that that might be true. But Hamer made a couple of of good saves from decent efforts, rather than you know chances that Forrest necessarily should have put away. Um, and I would say that Samba also made some really really key saves. Um, there was one in particular from Diakabi where I, I'm not entirely sure how he missed. Um, I really like Josh Caroma's decision-making in the final third. A couple of times he found himself in the clear on the counter-attack. And rather than taking on a shot that would have been very difficult to pull off, he found he made the decision to square it and found a teammate as well in a much better position. Um, you know, he's a young player who we can be very excited about. And, and both Toffolo and Pieper on the flanks as well, um, offering some really nice support. It, it felt like the game where Corber and Huddersfield kind of finally emerged. Um, and I know that Forrest aren't in good nick in any which way. But I'm pretty happy to to put this down to a decent Huddersfield side rather than them coming up against the Forest team who most sides would beat at the moment. The most obvious analysis about Forest, which has been done all weekend, which is probably the best analysis about Forest as well, is that it looked like a, a, a lot of players who hadn't played a lot of football together because that's what it was. Um, so many changes, uh, some new signings, some of them like Scott McKenna, looked fairly comfortable looked like they started quite well and some of them you know they didn't all play horrendously as individuals but I think we pretty much know now uh, that having a new back four having two new players in centre um, centre midfield having a new creative player who's got good vision but still kind of finding his feet and finding the right areas to pick up on the uh, the ball in Freeman swapping strikers like they did Taylor coming in for grabbing I don't think anyone's surprised that the team didn't jail straight away uh, and didn't look settled so you know it looks like they're they're 
going to give Lamucci another game or, or, or another few games. I, I think that's fair um, because I just think to sack him after one game with a new team would just be a bit silly. And I, I, there aren't many managers that at this stage I would be 100% confident could turn Forrest into the team they want to be this season, given that the season's already started, given that the schedule is so hectic and games are coming thick and fast. Um, so I, I want to see him get a few more games, but I also know that the, the bad atmosphere and the pressure on him, plus the squad churn and the number of players in the building who, who just aren't part of the squad at all, I think it just makes it very hard for him to, to refine that sort of squad character, to build that that team mentality like they had at the uh, certainly for the first three quarters of last season, which you know is kind of hard to measure, but definitely contributes to the success of sides, especially sides who play a lot of tight games, who often have to dig in and, you know, play counter-attacking style, etc. So there's a lot of questions around Forrest at the moment. I'm glad that Lamucci is going to get another game. I don't think they are just going to keep losing every single game while he's in charge. Uh, and then we had Preston nil, Stoke one, George. This game somewhat ruined by a red card, I think it's fair to say. I would have liked to have seen what would have happened uh, 11 v 11. I think it would have been tight. And to be honest, it was quite a tight game in the end anyway. Uh, a kind of a 50-50 game, which probably doesn't have a ton of analysis on it, except that Stephen Fletcher, one of the least likely players I can imagine to whip out an <laughs> incredibly <laughs> random Rabona onto the bar when, you know, if he was doing the sensible thing, he probably would have just rounded yeah. the keeper and tried to slot it with his right foot. As somebody who doesn't have a great left foot, but does fancy themselves as a Rabona artist, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Sometimes... I whip out the Rabona without really realising I'm doing it and it's too late, so you have to start it out. But uh, I wish that I'd gone in because it would have been an incredible finish. <laughs> what a way to to mark you. I mean, imagine if he'd missed that and then they'd, and then they'd um, conceded against 10 men. Um, but you've got to feel sorry for Barkhausen because he, he clearly lost his balance. Um, and I'm not as... You know, Alex Neal made the point that he lost his balance. He just slips, right? But can you... Yeah, but yeah. Can, you, can you slip and still commit like a dangerous foul yeah it's my like he's he's still like very very late i know what and you mean his, and his studs still kind of go into fox's legs so if, if you, even if though you take the, if you take the outcome of what happened rather than his mentality going in exactly like that there, there's quite clearly no intention hmm. there's no intent there but at the same time it's a pretty dangerous tackle even though it wasn't his anyway i mean i, I, I don't know yeah. the rules i'm not a referee we'll get peter walton on next week less but um <laughs> but, but it's it's yeah. There's not really much to say except for maybe you'd you'd want Stoke to be a little bit more dominant given they're playing against ten men for the majority of the game. Uh, shout out to Harry Sutar uh, at the back, the, the Scottish Australian uh, who made his first league start for Stoke and they kept a clean sheet and he was very good. Uh, he was obviously excellent for Fleetwood last season, so we're hoping to see him more at the at the back for Stoke. But of course, they've there are plenty of players there, and he's got he's got a job on his hands to to keep his spot. But it's a good first start, George. Uh, this week we need to uh, just remind our listeners that our sponsors, The Athletic, is a place to be for the very best football writing. This week I have really enjoyed this morning reading Simon Hughes's piece with Kevin Ellison. I think everyone who's followed the EFL knows about Kevin Ellison, one of the great sort of stalwarts and characters of the EFL over the last few decades. And at 41, he's just joined Newport County. But uh, the piece itself was just an amazing profile and interview with Ellison and with the, you know, although he was speaking for himself and on his own experiences this summer, I took away from it thoughts in general about how it's been for out-of-contract players uh, 
in the lower leagues this summer and how tough it can be um, psychologically and for one's mental health. Ellison is and has been for a long time something of a trailblazer in terms of talking openly about mental health struggles and his own mental health struggles. And I, I again, it's not something you can measure from where I'm sitting, but I can imagine that he has helped so many people by doing so, especially fellow footballers uh, who, who, who may have been encouraged to seek help or to speak up uh, when they've been going through a tough time as well. But, but this, this piece was kind of about everything. It was a classic Ellison. He was both really open and honest about his struggles and how tough it's been for him. His, his father's been in a coma this summer as well, so he's had so much to deal with after leaving Morecambe, where he'd been for so long, and really having a tough experience with Derek Adams after he came in uh, to replace Jim Bentley. Um, so there's openness about his, about his self-doubt. Sorry, There are strong opinions, of course, with Kevin Ellison based on his experience in the game and a lot of humour as well. Uh, I enjoyed him basically talking about how he, he met up with Newport, his new teammates, and he was a bit nervous because he's, he's been a real wind-up merchant in games against Newport before. That's the, that's the character he is on the pitch. And he was saying there's a defender there who always does his hair before a game. And, and Ellison, no, I love that. whenever he takes the pitch and he sees a defender who's clearly spent some time on his hair, um, he just goes up and just runs his hand through it, just ruffles it up. You can imagine that being really annoying as someone who takes a lot of pride in their hair, as I do. That would really, really annoy me. So I quite like that as a little as a little nugget of, uh, of, of yeah. humour. Uh, it's just a, a, a brilliant piece that I would very much recommend. There's also a side of it, which isn't really mentioned, but, but anybody, we're talking a lot about the off-field issues in the EFL at the moment. And I think for anybody who doesn't understand that League One and League Two football is very different to what we see in the Premier League and Championship, should read this piece, because there's a lot of stark realities there, such as the fact that Kevin Ellison was on £2,000 a month last season playing you know, uh, League Two football for Morecambe. So he was earning £24,000 a year, age 41, as a full-time professional footballer, um, which is, of course, you know, it's a, it's a decent wage to live on. But I think people might have a bloated idea of what senior pros at that level are earning as well. I mean, he's got two kids that he talked about in the article. Um, he also speaks about how he was about to start work in a factory mm. um, before he got his contract offer from Newport County. You know, it's it, it just it's sobering to think that if these clubs um, to go the way we're worried they're going to, you know, these aren't guys who are necessarily affluent as it stands anyway. And the insecurity and uncertainty around around it all um, and the, just kind of the lack of money that's already there. Um, yeah, kind of reading this, I feel like I'm in a position where I understand it well enough anyway, but reading this just really hammers home to you that even though these are guys that we see on the TV the whole time, even though these are the guys who we've known about for a long time, their whole career is is always on a knife edge um, and no more so than, than at the moment. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 uh, is a place to be if you're not a subscriber, but if you'd like to give it a go, if you'd like to sign up to The Athletic today and read this piece uh, with Kevin Ellison and Simon Hughes and so much more as well, of course, uh, yeah, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 will get you 50% off your subscription. Okay, let's move to League One, where we have three teams with maximum points. George, Ipswich Town beat Rochdale 2-0. Hull City beat Northampton 2-0. And Lincoln City beat Charlton 2-0. They've all got nine from nine. Uh, who do you want to talk about first this week? 
I think for the sake of impartiality, I'll let you talk about Lincoln, um, especially because I felt like you weren't quite buying into my hype a couple of weeks ago. But um, it's, uh, I think we should talk about Ipswich um, firstly, because they feel like the one team in League One and League Two who are just kind of coasting along, winning without really looking like they are playing at it you know, particularly well. Is that is, potentially because they've had probably the easiest fixtures in the EFL so far? They have, yeah. And they haven't conceded a goal yet, um, which is, you know, it, it's something in itself. But it, I think the, the, the players, because it's what we said last week, the players who are playing well are players who haven't done for a long time for them. Now, even just looking at who scores um, ratings for, for their players, the top four are Edwards, Enciala, Bishop and Nolan. Three of those players are ones that we thought would have great Ipswich careers and who have really, really failed to impress since they were brought into the club by by Paul Hurst. Um, against Rochdale, they weren't perfect. Rochdale created a fair few chances in the game, um, but Ipswich were the dominant side. They just have so much talent running through their squad and to, to reverse the, the negative run from the back end of last season, I think they're probably one club who are really benefiting from not having fans at games because the Ipswich fans and the relationship with Paul Lambert at the end of last season was very, very poor. I'm pretty sure that if fans were allowed back in now, that would have changed. You are right about the fixture list. They've got MK Dons away coming up next Saturday as well, which is pretty favourable again. You can see them getting another, their fourth 2-0 victory of the season. Um, and in Ollie Hawkins, they brought in a player who seems to fit what Lambert needs a little bit more than other players, where he's very, very adept at holding the ball up. We saw from his assist for Edwards' goal, it was that ability to receive the ball with his back to goal and play the pass that was needed behind him if that's Norwood you're probably going to see him taking a touch and just trying to smash it in um, and they've got I'd options like to, as well they've I'd... got options in depth so yeah I think for Ipswich you are right you caveat it with three games against three sides who look set to struggle although I would say that I do think we're going to better than they're given credit for um, it's been as good a start as they could have hoped I'd like to be the first to say that Hawkins is could be the League One Oli Giroud this season because Olivier. if you remember, um, Giroud won a, a, a whole World Cup without scoring a single goal, playing up top and bringing his very talented teammates into play. And uh, I'd like to say, you know, maybe that's maybe that's harsh on Hawkins to say that he's not going to score many. He went pretty close in this game, um, but that's that's the sort of role that he can fulfill uh, and can help his team be better even if he's not scoring as many goals as, as some rival strikers. Um, Rochdale, Ali, who was it who performed that role in France 98 for France, if you remember? Yes, of course. Uh, apostrophe fans is Stéphane yes. Guivache, mm. uh, a very famous side that I wrote many essays on when I did my French degree. Basically, Sh- shame Oli Hawkins is not French, otherwise he could be the uh, 2022 French striker who doesn't score but gets in the World, the World Cup. There you go. Um, Northampton lost 2-0 to Hull. That's uh, maximum points for Hull as well. I think the, the takeaway from this game was that Hull, again, uh, were just too strong for their opposition. We're not absolutely incredible, um, but were solid, coped pretty well with uh, with what Northampton chucked at them aerially. Uh, and it was it was a, a different star. It's kind of been a different star player each week, hasn't it? This week it was Honeyman who took the armband for them, who just looks like he's playing with so much more confidence than I've seen him play with over the last few years, uh, whether it was for Sunderland or then for, for Hull when he joined in the championship. 
a brilliant assist by Hakeem Adelikan, um, who, again, a player that we've loved on this pod before, who's basically lost two years of his career by, by moving to Bristol City, um, by suffering an injury at a bad time when he first went, and then basically never really getting a look in. So he can he can thrive again here, I think. And Keen Lewis Potter, who we've mentioned a few times, uh, got a nice goal as well, just showing an ability to score lots of different types of goals. And I think that's really uh, exciting as well. So positive signs for Hull and for Lincoln. Well, uh, just another very, very solid win. Uh, another game that was pretty tight, to be honest, overall. And I think it would be unfair to say that they dominated the game against Charlton. Um, they took their chances and Charlton didn't take their chances. And you have to credit Lincoln, who looked very solid. They looked very well. They looked very well coached and very well structured. Um, they've got a man at the back in Lewis Montsma, who may not be doing much modelling anymore, but has just turned into an absolute goal monster. Centre-back for Lincoln, who scored... He's, he's got three and three in the Carabao, uh, and he scored his first league goal here as well. He absolutely loves it. They've been very good from set-pieces all season so far, and uh, it's very positive. When you've got George Grant taking set-pieces, you know you're going to get good delivery. So, Monsma thriving off the back of that. And, uh, yeah, the, the midfield just looks very balanced with Bridker at the base of it, McGrandles and, and Jamie Jones as well either side. Positive signs for Lincoln, it's, it's, it's fair to say. We had uh, another, well, just a number of big results in League One that we need to go through here, starting with Sunderland 1, Peterborough 0. I watched this game pretty closely, and I, th I think it's one where the analysis from both sets of fans, from anyone watching, from myself, it is, is pretty much the same, which is that Posh came flying out of the traps, uh, really, really positive in the first 20 minutes. Gave Sunderland quite a few scares, especially Siriki Dembele, who was drifting all over the place, picking up the ball, who was driving past midfield players for Sunderland and, uh, and just looking really lively. The, the sort of player, dare I say, that Sunderland have lacked or don't or just don't have at the moment. But slowly but surely, Parkinson's Sunderland sort of uh, quashed that threat. Um, you know, having ridden their luck a little bit, Johnson Clark Harris had a few chances. I note that he has had the most shots so far in the EFL without scoring, 14 in total. Um, maybe just needs that first one a bit like Tony did at Brentford this weekend. Got it with a penalty. Uh, I feel like Clark Harris just needs to calm down slightly when he's faced with his chances. I've got no coaching badges at all and I'm not a particularly great <laughs> finisher either, but looks to me like he's trying to hit it a bit too hard. Um, it's a bit like golf. You know, speed of speed of swing does not necessarily equate to pure. I do feel like, I feel like you telling... Johnson Clark Harris to stop kicking the ball so hard when he's because he's a bad finisher is quite similar to me telling people to stop trying to hit the ball so hard in golf because your finishing ability reminds me of Jermaine Defoe's uh, of just trying to hit it as hard as you can into the roof of the net. I'll take that. And I try and smash the golf ball. So <laughs> I think we're being a little bit hypocritical here, both of us, but yeah. that's okay. Look, Sunderland, you know, got control of the game back, didn't dominate the game by by any means, but. Got a, a penalty, which I, I just can't really tell. The, the, the camera angle, even with slow-mo, just doesn't really show whose foot got there first, I don't think. Um, but it did look harsh, I think it's fair to say. Um, Denver Hume and Ledbitter were the standout performers for Sunderland. Ledbitter, just, he's obviously got that experience and ability to control games um, and just a real asset for Sunderland in the centre of the park. The, the front three, Maguire, Gooch and Wyke, um, Roka Report who do a brilliant Sunderland podcast I would say it's the premium Sunderland pod they do player ratings after every game and their front three got two fives and a four so I think it shows you that Sunderland by no means fluent and fluid but getting the win and they've only conceded one goal so far this season so that they'll take that I don't feel like there's there's too many negatives here for Peterborough um, who you know have not picked up 
a ton of points yet, but who I think are still looking like they they could well grow into being the sort of side that they were at the back end of last season. So I'm not too negative about that. Georgia, there were two 4-1 wins. Accrington 1, Oxford 4, and Doncaster 4, Bristol Rovers 1. What did you make of those two games? Well, for the Oxford game, it, it's definitely a, a scoreline that flatters Oxford massively because, um, the, the you know, when the score was 1-0 <clears throat> after... Accrington were correctly awarded a penalty for Simon Eastwood seemingly just punching one of the uh, <laughs> Accrington players. That was probably a fair reflection of the game. Um, and then very quickly after that, Dion Charles got sent off for something. I mean, I have no idea. I've watched it so many times trying to work out what's happened. Um, but between Simon Eastwood and the linesman, they must have seen something in a bit of a, mm. a melee in the area after yeah. Accrington corner. And that just completely changed the game. Um, a, a very, very lucky Oxford goal to make it 2-1. And then two brilliantly taken Matt Taylor finishes. Uh, I feel like we had a bit of a, another blow for the nominative determinism 11, this one. Uh, Toby saving, just not really saving. Toby let, letting him in. Yeah. Um, and so for, for Oxford, it, it's a big result rather than a big performance. It's a result that uh, after a difficult first couple of games where it had some fans questioning the, the business that was seen so recently as being so good. No goals scored. Now they've scored four. Taylor back in the goals. Henry back in the goals. Um, the the impact that it may have going forward is significant. The performance itself, whilst it was 11 v 11, wasn't much better than what we'd seen previously. And Donny beat Bristol Rovers 4-1. Um I feel like I spoke a lot about Doncaster on various podcasts last week. So anyone who listened to the betting show, for example, kind of knows what I thought heading into this game um, and nothing but positive vibes on, on Donny really coming out of it. The, the best part about Maja Gomsch scoring so many goals and Taylor Richards scoring his first goal uh, is that they're, they're sort of, it means less chat about Ben Whiteman uh, and more chance of him staying with Donny, um, which we've always said is very important to their chances this season. And it's really positive. They 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 were the better side. They were the stronger side. They they look very they look very settled and quite exciting, really. And and as mentioned, their defensive record last season was kind of went under the radar. I think it was the third best record in the division. They conceded less than a goal a game, just about. Um, you know, if they can keep that up, then they're going to be they, they they are going to be at the very least as good as they were last season. But early signs are they might be a little bit better. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing them play some of the teams that we thought were going to be towards the top of the division and see how they get on. A huge win for, for Wigan, George. They beat Portsmouth away from home. Similar sort of question marks about Pompey and Kenny Jackett and a, a lot of just unbelievable amounts of anger in the fan base. Um, I don't I don't have a huge amount to add when it comes to Pompey and that whole discussion at the moment. Uh, I'm, I have no idea whether the owners are going to sack Jackett or not. So uh, I don't really know what to say. But for, for Wigan, it's... I mean, it's so impressive, isn't it? And the second goal, the free kick from Tom James was magnificent. It also feels, it's, kind of, it's always tinged with a bit of sadness at the moment talking about any of their games, whether it's win or lose, um, because there hasn't really been much movement on the off-the-field issues. Uh, I spoke to a Wigan fan who I know really well this morning and who's always got his finger on the pulse and across what's going on and basically said, no news, no, no closer to takeover than we were when we started the season. And obviously there are a number of clubs at the moment whose very existence is at risk, uh, is at risk, but certainly Wiggins as well, maybe more so than many. Um, yeah, I'm hearing a few months basically until the money runs out. So it's uh, it's a very, very tough time. We also had a very eye-catching win for Wimbledon at Fleetwood. 1-0 winners 
and a good performance from them. Uh, the sort of away performance that we haven't seen too often from Wimbledon um, for a while, really, last season uh, and to start this season. And very welcome, I think. Uh, it was a massive surprise, a pleasant surprise to see Steve Seddon go back there on loan. Of course, Seddon was such a big part of their miraculous survival, if we can call it that, uh, in the eighteen nineteen season when they had him and, of course, Ramsdale in uh, in goal on loan. That seems crazy now to think that only two seasons ago Ramsdale was the Wimbledon goalkeeper and those two played such a big part in that survival at the back end of, of that season under Wally Downs. And he's back. I mean, alone at Portsmouth last season where I think he was pretty popular towards the top end of League One and he's rejoined Wimbledon. So congratulations to the recruitment team. They're doing well in the loan system. They are another side at League One level who are proving themselves a good landing spot for young players uh, to help develop them and give them game time and they benefit from that. So uh, Seddon obviously scored the winner. Brilliant link-up play with Joe Piggott who has the best, what well, has the most goal contributions of any player uh, in the EFL in terms of goals and assists. Piggott has two goals and four assists in three games. Absolutely astonishing numbers and uh, it's just brilliant start to the season. It felt... I might be reading too much into this, but he looks so confident. He looks like he's thriving. And I just wonder whether at times last season, we used to say that Piggott being used as a target man to such an extent, it just didn't feel like it would get the best out of him. And he didn't even look particularly comfortable being um, a target man who's being, you know, chucked aerial balls to such a, a great extent. And maybe, maybe just, although he is, you know, still very much the man that they're looking for when they play it long towards him. Um, maybe he's just either grown into that role, he's got used to it. I'm not 100% sure, so I'd love to hear from some Don's fans what you put Piggott's good start to the season down to. Uh, I, regardless of what the reason is, it, it's very welcome and it's great to see a player start the season so well. So big win for Don's, a rare away clean sheet and uh, a good platform to build on from here. Um, we had a couple of other big home wins. George Swindon 4, Burton 2. Crew to MK Dons nil, Gillingham to Blackpool nil. Which of these wins was your favourite of the wins? My, my favourite or the <laughs> most? I mean, I, I don't think Swindon's was my favourite, but I, I do think that they look like a team who are going to score a lot of goals this season. Um, they may have lost a lot, but in the many, many Smiths and, and in Pittman, they have another really electric forward line. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know when the Smiths gags are going to stop. Oh, I think God. it has to be. It has to be fairly soon. Um, but Matt Smith for in people, from Arsenal looks like a serious player. He does look good, doesn't he? For people of our generation, there's just a few... I mean, you, you probably are better at like older references than me. I'm just terrible when it comes to music and film references from before my time. But like the Smith's gags are already boring me. The Jared Bowen bullseye gags really bore me. The Nathan Jones banana rama gags really bore me like I'm aware that's just because I don't get the references really like I didn't live those so it's not a nice bit of nostalgic you know humor for me but yeah I'm hoping the Smiths gags stop pretty quickly it, it while also thinking it is quite funny that they have so many players called Smith at some point the analysis has to go a little bit deeper than that so I'm glad you've highlighted Matt Smith because yeah looks like you a are, real player you're a charming man Ali Maxwell um yeah it's uh is that a reference <laughs> yeah oh cool uh, well amazing but uh so that was good swindon were good 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 job for them to win 4-2 and uh, i'm excited as a neutral to see how they get on this season um but i think the the interesting thing for gillingham even though the first goal was kind of um as scrappy as it's going to get is that we've always felt like this gillingham team are, are a good striker away from being quite good um 
in Dominic Samuel, we've got we've got a player who has always been very highly rated. It's fair to say he's always been someone who seemingly coaches and, and those who know him as a player think has a lot of potential. But he's 26 and he's never been prolific. I mean, his best spell of goal scoring has been two loan spells back in 2015 at Coventry and at Gillingham. Um, but the second goal was a proper goal. I mean, that yeah. is collecting the ball from a um, you well, know, in space. Well done in, for Dane Oliver. Did really well there. I always want to shout yeah. out for Dane Oliver because he doesn't score many goals, but he does do a job for his team. Badsy. Um, so, and, and it was a beautifully struck finish into the bottom left-hand corner for Samuel. And you, you do kind of feel like if Steve Evans has finally got his hands on a striker that he can mould into something half prolific, if Dominic Samuel's finally at a club where he's actually going to play games, play consistent, start consistent league games, then that's one to keep an eye on as well. And um, yeah, as I've said before, I think Blackpool are going to be fairly decent. Although, interesting, it was mentioned on the Quest Highlight show that they haven't won away from home in over a year. So that is something to keep an eye on. I'm afraid I can't stop thinking of Walter Samuel when I see the name Dominic Samuel pop up on the video printer. Wally Samuel. I really wish Dom Samuel was like Domenico Samuel, the Argentinian striker, Walter's younger I, brother. I wish Dom Samuel as well. Um, yeah, he, he could. I don't know how old Walter Samuel is, but he might be in his 40s now. He could be a father of. Anyway, uh, he's obviously not, but uh, I just can't stop thinking about calling him Dom Samuel. So that's 42, Walter Samuel. That's going to plague me. All right, so only 16 years older than uh, than Don, so Dom good, Samuel. So a friendly uncle. Um, crew two, MK Don's nil. This I had pitched on the TFLSET show that it was kind of the two teams that had played well or quite well so far without success. Uh, and in the end, Crew played very well again and won and got their award. And MK Dons played like really not well at all to the point where there's uh, definitely some concerns amongst the fan base and uh, some it just feels like they really need to pick up a result at some point. They are going to break the record, I reckon, George, uh, if anyone actually has these records for most possession versus fewest shots. 70% mm. possession. They had two oh. shots. Two shots in the whole game. A, guy, a game that they lost, a game that they were chasing. They managed to take two shots. Now, I don't know whether Russell Martin's like banned them on shooting unless they're within sort of, I don't know, 10 yards, let's say. But that's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and some, some, some other fun stats that come from a team that are just so obsessed with possession uh, is that three games in, MK Dons have played 1,433 accurate short passes. Northampton have played 278 accurate oh short passes. Oh, my goodness. A, uh, that is good oh, statting, that. Thank you very much. Uh, so that was a great win for Crew. Great, great to see Mikel Mondron. He, do you know what, mate? He could be he could be the French striker in 2022. He could be the target. He, he scored. He could be the target man that doesn't score many. You're missing many. You can't just add a many in there. <laughs> well, anyway, Mondron 2022. That's my new campaign. Um, great to see him on the score sheet. And just an all-round good performance from Crew. Feeling very positive about them still, I must say. Uh, I do get worried sometimes that we overrate the teams coming up from League Two. But generally, um, you know, even though Plymouth didn't get a win this weekend, I still think I still think they're all decent, you know. And in League Two, we have to start with Bolton nil, Newport 2. We don't always... We don't always, like love the same team at the same time but I'm I've fallen head over heels again again for Mike Flynn's Newport County um and I think you might have done as well yes <laughs> they in the early signs are very very good here um, both attacking output and defensive output is is really really strong um we have no idea 
as to what we can chalk up a win against Bolton as at the moment. Because mm. all the evidence suggests that Bolton are one of the worst teams in the league as it stands. I don't think that's going to continue throughout the season. But, I mean, it could do. So the wins have come against... I mean, their fixtures have been Scunthorpe, Cambridge, Barrow, Bolton. That could, in kind of December, we could look back and think, wow, that was a very easy start. However, um, everything that they're doing suggests they're going to be really strong. They're controlling the game on the ball. They are creating plenty of chances. And Tristan Abrams, they've got a player who has never been prolific before, but now both in the Cup and in the league is is finding his goal-scoring um, shoes, boots. <laughs> and and you wonder if maybe the change of style suits him because he's now getting um, chances played into his feet and, and he looks like he's he's adept at taking them. He's also, you know, both goals effectively came from rebounds on Saturday. So having a player who's alert to that is very important. Um, you don't want to get too carried away, but, but right now Newport have to be the side in League Two where you are looking at a, at a group of players and a manager who are pulling all very much in the right direction mm. and who've worked out a system and a means to, to, to dominate games of football on the ball and in terms of both both penalty boxes. Yeah, I mean, they, even before, you, know, you, might, you might have watched a short highlights uh, package of this game and seen two tap-ins from Abrahams after poor bits of goalkeeping by Krellin in the, in the Bolton goal and think, well, you know, they've been given a helping hand by the goalkeeper. While that is true... You know, that first goal was a real culmination of a ton of chances um, before then and a, a very, you know, an absolutely deserved win. Uh, even if Bolton fans felt a little bit hard done by when Delfonso's goal was, was disallowed, that was one of those that needed a few replays to spot a handball. Ah, it, 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 you know, I felt bad for him, but it it probably was the right decision. Um, Exeter were another team that we had on our sort of list of teams that seemed to be playing quite well but had not won a game yet and they went to Mansfield and they did win a game they won 2-1 at Mansfield uh, and it, it felt quite apt that in in the week that Ollie Watkins played against Ethan Ampadu in the Premier League two former Exeter Academy graduates uh, it was another one a new one if I may call him that who scored the winner Josh Key who was playing right back and this is a team that that coped really well with Mansfield's physical threat they are you know as direct as we thought they were going to be, I think it's fair to say. Um, and that's where, you know, they do have a lot of academy graduates in the first team, Exeter, Collins, who we like a lot in midfield. But they've got Tom Parks and Rory McArdle at centre-back. And that's the sort of physicality and experience that you probably need uh, in League Two to have that nice mix. Um, you know, Crew are a good example from last season. You do need to be able to mix it uh, as well as be able to play a thousand passes a game. Um, and yeah, really positive signs for Exeter to get off the mark. They've still got Randall Williams. He's still there. I, I thought a few weeks ago it looked like he was on the cusp of departure. I dare say he might still go. But they've got Randall Williams on, on one wing and Joel Randall on the other wing, who has started the season really well too. So uh, very positive signs for Exeter. And then there were just a few, there were four more wins. I just in thought, in fairness to Mansfield, I texted you about this. I just don't understand how Mansfield didn't get a pen in the last minute mm. um, or very late on. I can't remember who it was, was set, was set free. And it's a classic case of getting a shot off and then being absolutely clattered afterwards. Um, and seemingly because he managed to kick the ball, um, the referee was not interested in giving a pen. It's one of my biggest hates. <laughs> we then got four wins in League Two, which like, it's one of those where I genuinely like digging a bit deeper into Bradford's win against Stevenage, into Crawley's win against Oldham, Scunthorpe's win against Carlisle, and even Morecambe's win against Southend. Like, even the even their own fans basically happy to have picked up three points, but not feeling particularly like their team had played that well. 
So you've got to be quite careful about just taking a result and being too positive about it. I mean, certainly Oldham Crawley, I left with stronger feelings about how concerned I am about Oldham than I did positive ones about Crawley. Oldham have now lost to Leighton Orient, to Stevenage and now to Crawley in the league this season. There's been a few bright spots in McElhenney and, and Rowe, uh, but not a huge amount else at the moment. I, I saw they signed Alfie McCalmont on loan from Leeds. Um, I wonder if that's Harry Kuehl pulling some pulling some strings. Um, I didn't think he was particularly popular at Leeds, but uh, you know, clearly still got decent links with, with some people there. That sounds like a positive signing. I haven't seen much of McCalmont, but, but Leeds fans think he's very good. But so far, and unsurprisingly to me, this side who had massive squad churn over the summer who changed their manager like three or four weeks before the start of the season um don't look like they're particularly uh well just don't look like they're a team at the moment so uh for Crawley Nadison and Nichols are on good form up top great to see Nichols scoring some goals he's had such a tough few years in front of goal hasn't he but there are people like Sam Parkin who played with him I think at Exeter when he was a really young player who who said genuinely he was thought of as the best finisher at the club so I don't know if it's a confidence thing I know that happens with a lot of strikers maybe he could get that confidence back and and Nadison's someone I've always thought could do better could could sort of could improve and could kick on and could be a good striker at this level so yeah I mean I saw a few Crawley fans re- respond to the tweet at full time being like we didn't play well at all let's not get carried away so that probably doesn't reflect too well on, on Oldham uh, Scunthorpe's goalkeeper Rory Watson was like Got 99% of the votes for man of the match. He made three magnificent saves in their 1-0 against Carlisle. So again, performance-wise, probably kind of hard to read too much into this, uh, albeit worth pointing out that Alex Gilead has been very good for them recently. I think he took the captain's armband as well. And he clearly Scunthorpe's sort of quality player at the moment, driving them forward from, from right midfield. So it's worth shouting him out. And Jacob Bedeau uh, looking quite slick at centre-back as well. But yeah, I, I don't really know how to how to go through Bradford, Stevenage and Southend Morecambe. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Southend didn't have a shot on target in this one. Yeah, Southend look in peril, really. Mm. Um, it, it's hard. I mean, we have to hope, given the issues they've got, you know, they've, they've got an upcoming um, winding up petition. Um, and we've got to hope they do end up finishing the season. But but at the moment, they are so far behind the rest of the league. They they faced a Morecambe team who lost, for those who listen to the betting show will know, who lost 5-0 and 7-0 in the week and, and they were completely dominated. Their only goal came from a, from an OG. Um, it's it's pretty desperate, a route tour at the moment, you have to say, um, both on and off the pitch. And uh, Bradford got a 2-1 win against Stevenage. There was a lot of concern when Bradford went 1-0 down, uh, a lot of anger at how poorly they were playing and how generally the performances haven't been that good to start the season. Um, and then Lee Novak, who had missed quite a big chance as well and had a lot of people thinking, is Lee Novak and Curtis Guthrie really the, the front two for us? Uh, Novak then showed, sort of rolled back the years, is that fair to say? He's only 31, but I remember him you know, scoring a lot of goals previously in his career and always when he was on form, looking like uh, just one of those classic lower league poachers with, you know, who maybe doesn't have the physical traits that stand out particularly, would never be considered hugely quick or particularly strong or good in the air. But just, you know, in when he's on form, seems to have that knack of finding space in the box and finishing, whether it's with his head or with either foot. And that's what he did in the second half, two really good uh, poachers goals and, and Bradford getting the three points there. Um, and uh, that's all of the wins in League Two. I would just like to shout out one of the best 
League 2 nil-nils I've ever watched, which was Salford nil, Forest Green nil. It was, uh, I mean, as someone who backed Forest Green to win that game um, at quite long odds, I, I was tearing my hair out because the <laughs> the amount of times they got into Forest Green's box, uh, sorry, Salford's area, and either didn't turn it into a chance or uh, couldn't finish it off. You know, so many good chances. <clears throat> Ladkey in goal for Salford um, has been as good as we had hoped he would be in the first few games. Mm. And, you know, it's fair to say that Salford played their part as well. There were periods of the game where they um, were on top, putting pressure on Forest Green. It, it was a really good game and uh, only nil-nil. So look a bit deeper uh, than the than the scoreline sometimes. And I really enjoyed that one. So be keeping a close eye on Forest Green over the next few weeks because I don't think they're too far away being pretty good. Um, so thank you guys for listening to the thank Monday you. pod. Thank you, George, for talking on the Monday pod. Thank you, Ali. Uh, just a reminder that uh, dates for your diary. You've got Totally Football League show extra time on Thursday. You've got betting show on Friday. You've got Sky Sports Friday night. Uh, you've got Quest on Saturday night where I'm going to be the, the pundit for League One and League Two. And George, I don't think, is on Five Live this weekend. But I'll be watching Oxford versus Crew. Oxford versus Crew. A few days to your diary there. Thanks for listening, guys. Let us know what you thought about today's pod at NTT20Pod. Have a great start to the week and we will talk again soon.